Well, good morning, College Park. Now, what Joe didn't tell you is that he and I have not yet discussed how much a cut of my salary he would get if you would supply me with a job. So make sure you talk to me first, then Joe. Well, this morning I'd like to talk to you about a couple very important topics, topics of strength and courage. Now, these are topics I'm pretty sure we could all agree are pretty important. But what I'm not so sure that we could agree on is exactly what they are. And with New Year's just around the corner, I know many of you are probably considering how you can live stronger or more courageously next year. So I took it upon myself to help us out this morning. I did some intense research trying to uncover what exactly strength and courage look like. So for my in-depth research, I just wanted you to know that I consulted two of our nation's leading experts on pretty much everything, Google and Facebook. I know, I left no stone unturned so that we could benefit from their wisdom. So let me share with you some, some of my findings and my research. First, listen to the wisdom of that great philosopher, Mariah Carey. She gave us this insight on where to find strength when times are hard. She said, and then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. And you cast your fears aside and you know you can survive. So when you feel like hope is gone, look inside you and be strong. You'll finally see the truth that a hero lies in you. It's good, isn't it? All right, but what about courage? Well, here's where Facebook was particularly helpful. I spent many an hour studying those little inspirational quote pictures that you always get on your timeline and everybody's wall, and I found these gems. First, the original definition of courage is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. It's <laughs> a good one. Here's another one. Courage is a very deep well inside you. You didn't know you had a well inside you, did you? But maybe the clearest expression I found of what the world thinks of when it thinks of strength and courage was found in one woman's choice of a phrase to guide her over this next year. Here's what she wrote. She said, my phrase for the new year is something inside because that is where I find the strength, courage, and motivation to act. Something inside. Now we laugh, but sadly, this is how much of our world views strength and courage as something inside each of us that we just need to tap into. So if you're feeling weak or worried this morning, just look inside you. And we hear this message in music and movies and Facebook and inspirational posters in the office. But my question for us this morning is, is the strength and courage inside you Really enough? I mean, sure, maybe it'll brighten your day when you just need a little pep talk. But what about when you're walking through a crisis? What about when you hear the word cancer? Or what about when the relationships in your life are crumbling apart around you? Or what about when you lose your job or one more year passes and life still doesn't quite look the way you hoped it would? When you really do feel like hope is gone, is it enough to just look inside you and be strong? 
This morning, I want us to look at a very different view of strength and courage, the one found in Joshua 1. We're going to look first at why the strength and courage are needed, both by Joshua and by us, but then we're going to spend most of our time discovering how true strength and courage come not from inside us, but are rooted in three deeper realities, namely God's promises, his precepts, and his presence. But before we jump into the text, let me pray for us. Father, we do come, as we've said many times already this morning, we come weak and we come worried. We come full of stresses and anxieties, unknowns and uncertainties. And we come because we need your word. You say, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So Father, we come this morning as a group of humble tremblers coming to the only source of life, to the God who speaks through his book. And so would you do just that this morning? Would you speak through your word to give your people what we need? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now before we look at where this true strength and courage are rooted, first we need to see why they're so desperately needed, right? Well, let's look at verses one to two. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now since we're kind of joining a show already in progress here, let me give you some backstory as to what's going on here. See, Joshua and Israel are standing at the very edge of the promised land. After 40 long years of wandering through the wilderness, Joshua can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. The good land and the good life God had promised are so close, he can almost taste the milk and honey. But there's two very important details that are going to make going into this land difficult. First, you see here, Moses is dead. Now verse 2 just it says it kind of matter-of-factly, but think how devastating this would have been for Joshua. I mean, before Moses came along, Joshua was simply a slave in Egypt. And then Moses comes along, and everything changes for him, right? He's freed. And over the next 40 years, he actually becomes Moses' right-hand man, getting to watch Moses lead the people and meet with God face-to-face and perform miraculous signs like parting the Red Sea and bringing water out of a rock. And now, this Moses is dead. Not only that, Joshua's supposed to fill his shoes. Can you imagine how overwhelmed Joshua must have felt? How do you follow that? I'm sure Joshua felt very acutely his own weakness and thought, there's no way. There's no way, God, I can do this. But as if that wasn't enough, right? There was... Just one other minor, minor issue. That is the only thing standing in the way of Israel enjoying this promised land is the fact that it was already occupied and the current residents weren't exactly looking to move. Not only that, they were also bigger than Israel, stronger than them, more numerous than them, and the Bible said they lived in cities fortified to the heavens. So, to take possession of the land all Joshua had to do was conquer these enemy nations. 
these bigger, stronger, more numerous, better armed nations. Probably no reason to worry there, right? So as you can see, this is precisely why Joshua needed strength and courage. Because he was walking into a future filled with difficult battles, overwhelming challenges, and unknown sufferings. And when he was faced with foes that seemed impossible, I'm sure that he was left feeling weak and worried. And this morning I'm wondering how many of us can relate to Joshua. As the year draws to a close and we look ahead to what next year might hold, each of us is walking into challenges that threaten to overwhelm us. All of us will face our own set of fightings without and fears within. Temptation, suffering, broken relationships, and lots and lots of uncertainty. My guess is that when we're confronted with the battle before us, if we're honest, each of us feels a little weak and worried. And that is why each of us this morning, just like Joshua, needs this same message of strength and courage. The good news is this is precisely the message God speaks to Joshua and to us this morning. Three times God commands him, be strong and courageous. This is like a battle cry for the weak and worried. God hammering home his message of strength and courage, strength and courage, strength and courage. And unlike the cheap, artificial kind offered to us by the world, God calls forth a strength and a courage rooted in something deeper than us. It's rooted in God himself, his promises, his precepts, and his presence. So I want us to look at each one of those to better understand exactly what this strength and courage is that God offers you this morning. So first, look with me at verses 3 to 6. And here I want you to listen for all the promises that God makes. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So we see in this passage, Joshua's strength and courage were first to be rooted in God's promises. Now let me make just a few comments about these promises. First, I want you to notice how good these promises are, right? These, these aren't tiny, trivial promises. These are massive promises that get to the very root of what Joshua longed for and what he needed. I mean, we cannot forget, this is a guy born as a slave in a foreign land, who once he was rescued, then had to spend the next 40 years wandering around a desert. So what does God promise this guy? He promises him land and a home. Not only that, over those 40 years, I am confident that Joshua ate more meals of manna than any human being could ever want to eat. And so what does God promise him? He promises him a land that's rich with food and produce. He's got these terrifying enemies and God promises none of them will stand in your way. And above all, he promises to be with Joshua. Those are really, really good promises. 
But second, not only are God's promises good, more importantly, they're trustworthy. Now, we know that a promise is only as reliable as the person who makes it, right? And that's why you know when you're watching the presidential debates, you can take those promises to the bank. (laughs) Must be the other guy's candidates. But on the other hand, listen to this description in Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Titus 1 later will go on to say, God never lies. And then Hebrews 6 takes it up another level and says, it is impossible for God to lie. Friends, we can trust God's promises because they're made by a God who does not, will not, and cannot break his promises. In fact, let me show you a great picture of this promise-keeping God. Flip ahead in your Bibles to the end of Joshua 21. Now, as you're flipping there, keep in mind all the promises we just heard here in chapter 1. These promises of land and how no enemies will be able to stand before them. At the end of chapter 21, listen to what God says in verse, starting in verse 43. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. I love that. Not one word failed. God kept every single promise that he made. And this keeping of promises is what we just celebrated two days ago, right? I mean, Christmas is exhibit A that God keeps his promises. For years, he had promised his people a king and a Messiah, a shepherd and a servant and a savior. He promised them a new covenant and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And after years and years and years of waiting, a baby in a manger. And this baby is the one that whom Paul would later say, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And because Jesus came for us, lived for us, died for us and rose again for us, all the promises of God are yes for us. He promised no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He promised that all who come to him, all who come to him, he will never cast out. He promised us that in the world we will have trouble, but you don't need to fear because he's overcome the world. And like we just sang a little bit ago, he promised that he's coming again to make all things new. And the best part is that all these promises are yes in Jesus, and not one word will fail. That is a reason to have hope. So friends, my question is, are you trusting these promises this morning? Are you, are you clinging to the things that God has said are true and will be true 
because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And if you're not, my question is, why? Why not? You, you will not find better or more reliable promises than these, friends. And so my invitation to you is make today the day that all these promises become yes for you in Christ Jesus. And finally, notice one last thing about these good and reliable promises. And that is they must be acted on in faith. This one's easy to miss, but it's so important. See, God promised Joshua repeatedly that he's going to give him the land. He's going to give him the land. But yet, what was his command in verse 2? Go into the land. God said, I'm going to give it, but you still need to go. None of your enemies will stand, but you still need to fight. See, it was nice for Joshua to know all these wonderful promises. But if he hadn't gone anywhere, they wouldn't have done him any good. As I thought about this, I thought of an illustration from our neighborhood. See, my wife and I live in a neighborhood where we've got this hilarious set of kids that live there. And these kids, for whatever reason, have made us some of their best friends, or they call my wife their bestie. And so they will pop over to our house at random times, just seeing how the day is going, climbing in our trees. And so this summer, we had this plan to, like, we want to get to know our neighbors, so we decided to host an ice cream social, which, when we told the kids about it, they thought was a great idea. And honestly, so did I. So we, the, we told the kids what was going to happen, and we promised them, look, there's going to be ice cream at our house on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Okay, okay, we got it. And they kept coming for weeks leading up to it. Ding dong. Okay, what day did you say we're having the ice cream? Okay, got it. They'd come back minutes later. Ding dong. What time? 7 o'clock? Okay. And you said we could have as much as we want? And what flavors are there going to be? So we made promise after promise after promise of how awesome this night of ice cream was going to be. I mean, you would have thought this was the culminating event of their life. They were so excited. So you can probably guess where this is going. That night comes, 7 o'clock rolls around, no kids. All right, we'll wait a little bit. 7.30, no kids. 8 o'clock, no kids. We're wrapping things up at 8.30, still no kids. We talked to them later, and apparently they had just completely forgotten and had made other plans and went and played at another friend's house. So after weeks and weeks of having these awesome promises of all the ice cream they could ever hope to have, the promises did them no good because they simply failed to act on the promises. And though I laugh at them, the sad thing is I know that I and we often do the same thing with God's promises. We know them, and in fact, we love them, but a lot of times we just don't act on them. But God's promises are meant to be acted on. He promised to free us from sin, but he also said, put to death the deeds of the body. He promised that he will, be, he will complete the work he started in you. But he also said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he promised that he will build his church. But he also said, go share the gospel and make disciples. God's promises are meant to be acted on. They're not meant to simply be acknowledged. But we need to act on them in faith because they are good and because they're trustworthy. And that's why Joshua was called to be strong and courageous. Because he had God's good and trustworthy promises. So what we see is that true strength and courage are not rooted in you. All apologies to Moriah. 
They are rooted in God's promises. But not only are they rooted in God's promises, as we go on, we'll see they're also rooted in his precepts. So look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So again here, God charges Joshua to be strong and courageous, but this time he tells him that strength and courage is connected to living in line with God's word. But before we go any further into these verses, there's something very important that we need to keep in mind. And that is, following these precepts was not the basis of Joshua's relationship with God. Remember, Joshua had already been redeemed, already had a relationship with God before he had the rules. And this is so important. The order has to be redemption, relationship, then rules. Another way to help us think about it is think of what happens in adoption. When a family decides to adopt, they don't give a child some rules, see how he does, and if he, if he does well enough, then they'll decide to adopt him, right? That's not how it works. No, they adopt him first. They bring him in and make him a part of the family. And once he belongs, then they say, okay, now that you're one of us, this is how someone in our family lives. Belonging leads to behaving, and we cannot switch the order. Now, having said that, we know that we can also err in the other direction as well. We can fall into thinking, well, if God made these promises, it doesn't really matter if I keep the precepts, right? Wrong. God's promises don't excuse us from obedience. They empower our obedience. And in these verses, we'll see that not only did God give Joshua these really good and trustworthy promises, here he also calls for complete obedience to his precepts. He is to obey God's whole word with his whole life. Notice here in the verses that God twice uses that word, all, telling Joshua he must be careful to do according to all the law. Now, if you're like me, that word, the word all is kind of a hard one, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy for us to see that, and yet for our hearts to translate it most, right? You're reading your Bible, A-L-L, most. Because we're okay with following most of God's commands. But there are some that are hard. I mean, have you tried not grumbling? Have you tried not wanting revenge when somebody does you wrong? What about not being jealous when somebody gets what you want? And I'm just talking about the last couple days of Christmas. (laughs) But here's the truth. God's commands are not a buffet where we can pick the ones we like and just leave the ones we don't. We are called to obey the whole word. And secondly, we're called to obey it with our whole life. God tells Joshua here that he's to meditate on this word day and night. Now, unlike a lot of meditation today, the goal of meditation in the Bible was never to just empty your mind. Instead, it was to fill your mind with God's truth. And when the Israelites would meditate on something, they would actually mutter it to themselves 
over and over again. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why it says here that the word should not depart from Joshua's mouth. So the good news is, if you're one of those people that talks to yourself, now you can just, when they look at you funny, just smile and be like, meditation. You look a lot better. But the point here that God is making is that we need more than just little spritzes of God's word. If you picture those little Windex bottles, we don't, we don't need little spritzes here and there. Meditating on God's word means soaking in it like a sponge, memorizing it, studying it, reading it, singing it, praying it, with the goal being that we would be so saturated with scripture that people would say of us what they used to say of John Bunyan. They would say, if you prick this guy anywhere, he actually bleeds biblene. What they meant was, whatever life threw at this guy, you could poke him anywhere. You know what came out of him? Bible. I don't know about you, but I want to be like that. And I'm not there yet. So how do we get there? Let me give you two small steps that all of us can take this year. First, find a Bible reading plan and intentionally spend regular time soaking your mind with the Bible's promises and precepts. And second, Commit to not just reading it, but this year, take that next step and try memorizing scripture. This year, College Park's going to be utilizing a great tool for this that you'll hear more about called fighter verses. But it begs the question, why are they called fighter verses? And it's because of what we're talking about. Because storing up God's word in your heart will help you fight the fight of faith. So that's my charge to you this year is find a way to read your Bible and find a way to memorize it. But if we keep going, we notice that meditation is critical, but all this meditating isn't just so we can know a lot about the precepts, right? Verse 8 says we should meditate so that we'd be careful to do. Meditating on God's word is for motivating us to do what it says. And if your meditation doesn't lead you to obedience, then you haven't gone far enough. Keep going. But even obedience isn't the end result. We see in verse 7 and 8 that there's a purpose to obeying God's precepts. It says that you may have good success wherever you go, and then you will make your way prosperous. So obedience to God's precepts is essential to success and prosperity. But the question we need to ask is, what does it mean here by success and prosperity? See, many false teachers today will take this verse and they'll say things like, look, see, it says right here, God says, if you live by his way, you will be rich, you will be healthy, and nothing bad will ever come against you because you will be successful and prosperous. The only problem is that's not what the words in this passage mean. We can't foist our definition of success and prosperity onto this text. The words here for success and prosperity are almost never used in the Old Testament to speak of financial success and never for physical health. Instead, they almost always mean to succeed in an endeavor, to accomplish the thing that you set out to do. You were successful in doing what you tried to do. So in our passage, this would mean God is saying, Joshua, if you'll obey my precepts, you will be successful in conquering the land, which is what I sent you to do. He's not promising them freedom from hardship here. He's promising them that the mission would succeed in spite of hardship if they obey his precepts. And that's why it's going to require strength 
and courage. Because following God's precepts, as you know, won't guarantee you an easy life. In fact, just the opposite. Listen to Paul in Acts 14, where it says that he was, quote, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul was telling the church here, church, be strong and courageous because following the path of God's precepts leads through a land filled with frightening enemies and terrible trials. But be strong and courageous because at the end of that path is an entrance to the kingdom, or as Joshua might say here, the promised land. But as we transition to the last point, here's where that picture gets even better. Because not only has God given us his promises to tell us where we're headed and to propel us there, and not only has he given us his precepts as a pathway to get there, the best part is he's also given us his presence to go with us. Look at verse 9. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And again in verse 5, he had said, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Now God tells us here not to be frightened. But I read that and the first thought is, but aren't there some things that are frightening? And there's this phrase that Peter uses in 1 Peter 3 that I think helps us here and that makes so much sense. Peter says, do not fear anything that is frightening. I love that. Do not fear anything that is frightening. And I love it because what Peter is saying is he's acknowledging frightening things do exist. It's not that there weren't frightening things in front of Joshua here, right? These enemies were real and they were scary. And it's not as though there aren't things in our world that are frightening. There are far too many. We live in this world that is broken and distorted by sin. In fact, everywhere we walk, there is something frightening. But what God tells Joshua and tells you this morning is that you don't need to fear because wherever you walk, you do not walk alone. God is with you wherever you go. And friends, that fact that God is with us is really, really good news. I wish I had way more time, but let me give you just four quick reminders why God's presence with us should give us strength and courage. The first, God knows. The fact that God is with us means he knows what you're walking through. Every struggle, every temptation, every fear, God knows. Now, when you're walking through trial, one of the scariest feelings can be that no one else knows no one else understands what you're going through. But God knows. He is present and he knows what you need even before you ask him. So God knows. Second, God provides. Not only does God know what you need, he also loves to give it. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And because the Lord is your shepherd, you will not want for anything. When you've sinned again and need his mercy, he provides. And when you need grace to help in time of need, he provides. When you lack wisdom, he provides. So when you're feeling weak and worried in 2016, remember that God is present 
and he provides. Third, God protects. As you fight the fight of faith, the best news is you are not fighting alone. God is present with you to protect you. He has promised that there is no one who is able to snatch you out of his hands. He promised that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he's with you to protect you. And fourth, God stays. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When times get hard, God stays. When your friends or family abandon you, God stays. Even when you fail and lose yet another battle with temptation, God stays. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. The good news of this is that we can be strong and courageous because God's presence is with us. He knows, he provides, he protects, and he stays. So let me just conclude this way. This morning, I don't know what your fight of faith looks like. I don't know what difficulties, what enemies, or what sufferings lie ahead for you in 2016. What I do know is that each of us will need strength and courage to face the battles ahead. And my hope is that none of you would settle for the cheap and flimsy strength and courage the world tells you to find inside of you. But instead, you will look to God for real strength and real courage that will sustain you through the fight ahead. Strength and courage that are rooted in God's promises, his precepts, and his presence. So let me leave you this morning with the words to one of my favorite hymns. And as you hear this, College Park, this is my prayer for you and my challenge to you for 2016 as you fight the fight of faith with strength and courage. Hear these words. O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. So with shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies, an army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. So spirit, come. Put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle. That we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant, good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand.
and glory. So be strong and courageous, College Park, and the grace that God provides. Let me pray. Father, we do hunger for that day when with Christ we stand in glory. When the day of the battles are over, the war is no more. When King Jesus has conquered and we with him. Lord, we long for that day. And yet today we feel all too acutely our weakness, our worry, our inability. And Lord, there is no strength in us. We acknowledge that. And so we ask, would you make us strong in the strength that you give? Would you make us bold and courageous because we have your promises that are good and trustworthy? Because we have your precepts that will guide us where we need to go. And we have your presence to be with us every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.